0: Hi, travelers. You can listen to us on your travels on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. Make sure you check out our link tree in the description of this episode, where you can find the links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts. Okay, today is Thursday, May 18th. Uh, Boys, Tuesday night. Had Lakers-Nuggets game one. Jokic played absolutely amazing. Was the best player on the field by far. Uh, Lakers came back, though, in the second half a little bit. uh, Made some really good adjustments in the second half. And uh, really scared the Nuggets uh, leading up uh, to game two, heading into Thursday night here.
1: Yeah, I feel better about the Lakers actually than I do about the Nuggets because this felt like an A-plus kind of game from the Nuggets. They shot the ball so well, 55% throughout the game. I was hitting a lot of long twos, a lot of threes. Uh, Jamal Murray played great. Jokic obviously had one of the best games we've seen in playoff memory. But the Lakers still almost stole this game. And I think that Darvin Ham's going to make adjustments, you know, We've seen the Lakers have a couple clunkers during the playoffs. They had a defensive clunker last night. Their offense was fine. Uh, Anthony Davis is going to get his LeBron's going to get his as long as they can get that third, fourth guy, whether it's Tachi whether it's Reeves, whoever it is, I think the Lakers are actually going to be fine in this series. I'm not concerned about them after game one.
0: Do you think the Nuggets are the hardest team Lakers have uh, played so far?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. When you look at the Nuggets series, uh, what they've gone through to this point, Phoenix, Really no depth. Uh, That was really what killed them. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker had a couple great games, but there was nobody else on that team that was going to do much of anything. And then the Timberwolves are a gritty team that just figures out ways to beat themselves. So, yeah, I would say any team involving Anthony Davis, LeBron James, yeah, I'd say it's the hardest team they played so far.
0: Yeah, and I I would even argue that the Lakers might actually be the hardest team that the Nuggets have played this year. I mean, you know, Knicks. I mean, not not the Knicks. The Suns were definitely banged up. Uh, They really didn't have an identity once Chris Paul went down towards the end there, they kind of have to figure out things and kind of revamp their entire lineup. that really hurt them. So yeah, I think this is going to be a really good series. Uh, Do you guys think it goes to seven or do you think uh, Nuggets take both games at home, uh, get a game also in LA, and then this may only go to like five or six.
1: I
2: think think it goes to seven games. I really thought that this series was going to go maybe even five or six games with, uh, with the way the Nuggets played. But I think the Lakers are going to really give them a run for their money in this series with the way they played last night, with the way they adjusted their lineup. And I think that, um, I I definitely think that the Nuggets, that's the hardest team they have played so far in the playoffs, probably the season. I think the Nuggets are actually going to, I still think they're going to win this series and uh, get to the NBA Finals here.
0: First time all playoffs, these playoffs, Lakers have been behind in the in a series. Uh, they've not been behind yet in this in this playoffs. Also, kind of weird. It was the one of those rare games where Anthony Davis played really well, uh, but the Lakers did not win. It's usually when Anthony Davis, you know, kind of shows up when he when he does show up, Lakers end up winning those games. I mean, last or Tuesday night he had 40 points, 10 rebounds, three assists two blocks and two steals was definitely a game changer uh, for the Lakers. And uh, like I said, where rare to see the Lakers not come out with a win when he does play so well. Uh, We'll transition. Now we have the game uh, coming up at the time of this recording. We're recording on Wednesday Uh, Celtics heat coming on in about an hour. Uh, I'm really excited to see this game. It's basically going to be the Tatum versus uh, Butler show. Um, Zach, I mean, just out of those two, who do you think uh is going to, you know, be more of an asset to, to their team uh this uh this series? uh Jimmy Butler or Jason Tatum?
1: The answer has to be Jimmy Butler because if it's not Jimmy Butler, then this series is over in 5 games. Jimmy Butler is as important to his team as any player left in these playoffs, obviously. The Celtics won the Sixers series without Jason Tatum really doing a whole lot until he hit a couple late threes in game six. And then obviously he was dominant game seven, broke Steph Curry's two-week-old 50-point game seven record. Um, But outside of that, he really wasn't a big factor in this series. And I, I remain convinced that if Jimmy Butler does not go off, Miami has no chance to win this series because you look at just the overall team, the Celtics are the better team. So I think he has to be the guy that steps up more or this is not going to be a series plus it, if jason tatum plays great which i expect him to but they can just as easily win games when Jalen brown is playing well and you can make the argument that Jalen brown's actually been their most consistent playoff performer to this point so i think the answer has to be jimmy
0: is this a legacy game for uh tatum in other words if he plays really well outplays butler uh he's top three player in the league and if he doesn't we just kind of continue to look at him as just a really, really good player. Like, what do you think of Tatum? Does he have to play really well in this series to be considered one of those top three players in in the NBA? It
1: depends. Depends. Like if, if Jalen Brown plays great, Jason Tatum plays decent and Celtics win, then it's not really a factor. Like I look at it more as, Jason Tatum's already been to an NBA Finals. At this point, it's time to win a championship. I'm not really thinking a whole lot about what's going to happen before they get to the Finals. If he steps up in the Finals and plays great, then, yeah, he's in that conversation. I think the Celtics can win the series without Jason Tatum having to go off.
2: He's been pretty inconsistent all season, actually. Even in the playoffs, you know, he has been good. He's been better, obviously, with the Sixers series, you know, hitting those big 3's late in game 6 and having a 51 point game in game 7 i think that um i think he needs to step up for for the celtics i think this is going to be a pretty easy series for them to win you know if let's say jimmy butler goes off you know i i think miami can get it to uh get it to 6 games maybe even you know still celtics in 5 still think the celtics are the better team but i think miami you know, Miami could give them a run till, till the sixth game, but I see the Celtics winning and I see the nuggets obviously winning in the Western conference. So it's going to be a Celtics nuggets final. And I would have said that at the beginning of the playoffs, but I'm, I would definitely say it once again, I'd stick with my prediction.
0: The heat and the Celtics can't get enough of each other. Uh, they, they played now I've, I've seen each other in the Eastern conference finals, uh, three of the last four years. Um, it's good. I, this game goes to seven in my end and it, it, in my mind, this game goes to seven. I mean, and I think it might even come down to a last minute three by Butler or Tatum to kind of, you know, live or die as they say, and move on. But, uh, it's really evenly matched though. If you kind of look at just, you know, behind the scenes a little bit, a better coach, the heat have that, uh, book bookmark, uh, check marked off, uh, Better starting three for the Celtics, though uh, Tatum, Brown, and Horford, you know, versus, yep. of course, Butler or Adebayo and uh, Strauss. He'd have a better bench, though. However, Celtics have a deeper bench, uh, you know, especially with how Malcolm Brognum has been playing lately. Um, it's one of the best offenses in the playoffs with the Celtics against one of the best defenses, one of the most physical defenses in the playoffs this year. Uh, it's going to be a really good game. I'm excited to see this thing go to seven. And I think every single game is going to be prime time and, uh, you know, within five, six, at the most, seven points. Uh, we have now uh, Doc Rivers going in the, uh, keeping in the NBA fired from the uh, Philadelphia 76ers on Monday or yeah, on Tuesday. I mean, excuse me, uh, Justin, let's just start with you. What are your thoughts on Doc Rivers getting, getting fired?
2: I think this wasn't the best decision by the Sixers. I think that Doc Rivers was very – I I think Doc coached a good postseason. You know, it wasn't just his fault. It was Harden and Embiid didn't show up in the last two games. Harden scored three points in the fourth quarter of of, uh, game six and game seven combined were three points. So Harden did not show up. Neither did – Joel Embiid. I think it's more on Joel Embiid and James Harden. You know, they cannot play together in Philadelphia, and this is a fault of the Sixers organization. You know, they almost had Jason Tatum. They almost they traded back in 2017. They traded up, I'm sorry, to get Markel Fultz with the number one pick, leaving Jason Tatum to the Boston Celtics with the number three pick. They could have had that. They also could have had Jimmy Butler instead of Ben Simmons and Brett Brown. So this is the Sixers organization making a failure of itself once again. And letting Jimmy Butler walk to Miami now that he's taken the team to the conference finals for the third time in the last four years is not just a Doc Rivers decision. Doc Rivers, I think it's not his fault. I think that Doc Rivers was was not the best coach in the playoffs. I understand that, but I think Embiid and Harden should have showed up, especially James Harden. But I think the Sixers are in are stuck right now. Do they rebuild? Do they yeah. do they get another star in there like Damian Lillard who tweeted out he loves the Sixers roster including Joel Embiid. I would do this. I trade for Damian Lillard I'd invest in a bench if I'm the Sixers. I'd let Harden walk back to Houston, and I would bring in Monty Williams as next head coach. I think it would yeah. be good for the Sixers this offseason instead of just keeping James Harden, giving him a max, which he declined. He's expected to decline, to decline his player option and seek a four-year max contract. I would not give that to him if I'm the Sixers. But knowing Daryl Morey, he traded for James Harden, in Houston and in Philadelphia. So and he's brought the Rockets up to Philadelphia, like PJ Tucker and I like and the Monty Williams.
0: I like I like the Monty Williams. Uh a lot of people are saying uh, you know, Villanova's old coach, but I do like Monty Williams. Uh I think that that'll be a good fit actually for the Sixers. You know, Jay Wright, I think he's got, way too comfortable right now in the uh media booth. I don't think he's gonna leave. But I do like like I said, I do like Monte Williams. Doc Rivers though, particular game seven resume is really bad. Uh has lost the last five game sevens he's coached in. Uh, has lost the most game sevens out of any coach in NBA history. He's uh, lost so thirty three games that he's
1: had a chance to clinch a series.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that? Do you know what that's like? That that ranks in the NBA. I think that might also. It's got to be, gotta be w- the worst. Yeah. Like,
1: I can't imagine. I think his overall record was like 16-33 and 33 or something like that when you have a chance to clinch a series. So like Game 5, Game 6, and Game 7 when he was in the bubble with the Clippers, you know, Game 6, Game 7 the other day. I Look, the fact of the matter is something had to change in Philadelphia. And it's not going to be Joel Embiid. And more than likely, it's probably not going to be James Harden. So what's the easiest thing to fall back on? It's the coach. And now we've seen it over the last, what, 10 years? The last... 10 years, guys that have won coach of the year. I think maybe Spolstra is the only one that's left still at his current position. Like, uh, Bud's currently out of work. Monty Williams is out of work. Uh, Doc Rivers is out of work. Like, this is kind of how it goes in the NBA. It's different than just about every other sport in that regard.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, you talk about Embiid. Uh, let's just talk, let's just uh, touch base on Embiid a little bit, Zach. Yeah. Uh, one MVP, but a lot of people are saying now that he's really not great in the playoffs he's gotten a lot of passes in the playoffs and now you know at first it was ben simmons and now it's Doc rivers uh and uh, never been past the second round of the playoffs though didn't show up in this second round uh he arguably gets worse as the playoffs go on is is and then of course jokic on uh wednesday or tuesday night excuse me had a breakout game in the western conference finals and so you know zach are you thinking that maybe we should delay the MVP voting a little bit until maybe even the first or maybe even as late as the second round of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that the, it should be delayed. Like The regular season obviously should make up the large portion of that, and I don't think it should be after the finals because we have the NBA finals trophy for a reason. But yeah, I think the first couple rounds of the playoffs have to factor in because you're right. Uh, MB did not play well at all in this postseason. Average only only 24 points. You know, that was like a nine point drop off from what he had, uh, I think, from the first round to the second round, which is the most of any MVP ever. And you're right now. Ben Simmons can't be used as an excuse. You know, James Harden even can't be used as an excuse. Harden didn't play great, but he had two games where he put up 40 points in this series. He played reasonably well at times. Uh You know, the biggest mistake the Sixers made was letting Jimmy Butler go in 2019 Mm -hmm. because if they would have just kept Jimmy and gotten rid of Simmons, then we might be talking about the Sixers having a championship by now because if you got Embiid, you got Butler, and you got uh, Harden on your squad, then that's a team that's probably winning a championship and Butler can be that crunch time kind of guy. I think Embiid is the victim of a lot of guys, and James Harden's kind of a victim of this as well, and that is the fact that games are officiated a lot tighter in the postseason. They don't get as many free throw attempts in the postseason as they do in the regular season so that's going to be a factor uh Embiid certainly has to play better in the postseason but i understand the hesitancy behind wanting to give Jokic three straight mvps when he hasn't won a championship yet because he would have been the first guy to do it since larry bird and you have to think about the guys that weren't given three straight mvps the magic johnsons the michael jordans lebron the james point. the greatest players of all time like Giving yoke gets three straight MVPs before he has a ring. I don't know if that would have sat right with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. If you go back to Butler, too, I mean, that they just and beating Butler just did not get along. Butler was a bad locker room presence. You, you know, you we, we, we remember the stories of what happened with, with that uh scenario, but I agree, Zach. Definitely could have figured that out. uh Relationships and locker room dynamics are things that can get figured out, but losing yeah. a great and player. Another- yeah, that can't be.
2: And another thing was Brett Brown. Brett Brown was the coach back then. He could have been fired, uh, according to Jimmy Butler. I mean, Jimmy Butler almost got him fired. I know Butler wasn't the best locker room presence, but he made that clutch shot. I know Harden has in the postseason this year. But, but Jimmy Butler, I think, would have been great in the postseason. I think he's a championship player. You know, obviously, look what he's doing in Miami. And I think that he could have won a title in Philadelphia with Embiid and without Brent, Ben
0: Simmons and Brett Brown. Yeah. Well, great. Uh, Both the great Western conference uh, finals and uh, Eastern conference finals coming up uh, these next two weeks. Uh, Great interview with uh, Michael Spillane coming on uh, later in the episode. Uh, He'll, he'll break down the uh, nuggets and uh, Lakers series, a lot more to come on that in the show, but Last NBA news before we move on, uh, NBA draft lottery, uh, Tuesday night, of course, uh, Spurs, as we all know at this point, got, have, they won the lottery, have the first round pick, and we all know it's most likely going to, well, it is going to Victor Wemuyama, uh, from France, uh, (laughs) Funny, only seems fitting that the Spurs take a Frenchman, a a big Frenchman for that matter. Uh, They, you know, they had two other first round picks in their history. Both of those have been David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and we all know how they turned out. Um, They're already well aware of the French language, as I already alluded to in the AT&T Center. uh, Tony Parker, uh, Boris Diao. Uh, So, I think he'll fit in great there. Obviously, the culture has a long history there with Popovich with uh, foreign players and meshing foreign players together with the American born players on the roster as well. So, I think he's actually going to be a really good fit there. I think Popovich in that front office and the coaching staff uh, in San Antonio is going to be just going to develop him very well. And I'm actually really excited to see how he uh, turns out to be. And with this news, I, I think the Spurs actually you know, move up to being one of the most exciting teams right up there with the Oklahoma City, you know, Thunder. Uh, Let's not forget, last summer, Spurs traded uh, DeJounte Murray uh, to the Hawks for uh, four first-round draft picks. They have one extra, uh, along with uh, Wimbiana, they have one extra this year, and they have one in 2025, 2026, and 2027. Uh, So they, they definitely have... A lot of things to look forward to as a Spurs fan. Uh, Their whole starting lineup is under the age of 23. Trey Jones, uh, Jeremy Sokan, Kendon Johnson, Devin Vassette, uh, and now Wimbyama. And so this team is going to be really fun to watch. Wimbyama, 7'5", without even shoes on. One of the best playmakers, especially for his size, in the league. It's going to be – and I'm excited. Like I said, they're up there at the Oklahoma City Thunder, for me, as one of the most exciting teams and I'm looking forward to Spurs having their first winning season uh, since 2008, 2000, uh, 2018, 2019, 2019 season. Um, as we all know, had 22 straight winning seasons before that bad slump four years ago started. And uh, yeah, for me, uh, it's going to be a great, great next four or five years in San Antonio for the Spurs fan. Uh, we now move to hockey. Uh, hurricanes Panthers, uh, starts Wednesday or Thursday night. Excuse me. Um, sack would we'll keep it really general right now. Who wins this series and, uh, why?
1: I'm going to keep riding with the, the Florida Panthers right now. This is the hottest team in hockey, what they did to the Bruins in the first round. They knocked off the best regular season team of all time. Uh, they just beat, uh, they just won pretty handily against Toronto and, their goaltending's been fantastic. They've been able to put the puck in the net. They're averaging about four goals a game throughout the postseason. I see no reason why it's going to stop now.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think they're an exciting team for sure. Uh, Panthers, as we all know, talked to Dan Day uh, last episode. Miami's kind of the epicenter of the sports world right now, uh, knocking off number one seeds. Miami Heat's obviously in the playoffs, NBA playoffs as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm i riding the Panthers too. Um, I mean, I think Hurricane are still going to be my pick in the Eastern Conference. I've been high on them since the playoffs even started. So, yeah, I, I still pick the pan, uh, the Hurricane coming away in this series and going to the Stanley Cup finals, but it's going to be another great series. I mean, at this point, every, I mean, now that we're in the conference finals for both basketball and hockey, every series is going to be great, just a great time for sports overall. Uh, Justin, I know you were high on the Panthers. Uh, in the past. Are you still riding high in the Panthers as well as coming away, beating the Hurricanes in this series? I'm
2: actually high on the Hurricanes. Uh, I think the Hurricanes get to the Stanley Cup Finals, and that was my prediction at the beginning of the playoffs, actually. I had the Carolina Hurricanes out of the Eastern Conference, and I had the Vegas Golden Knights out of the Western Conference. So that could be a prediction coming true during this playoffs in the NHL.
0: Well, interesting. I actually – um We'll, we'll move to the next uh game uh playoff uh series in this uh hockey playoffs I actually have the Dallas uh, Stars going uh into the Stanley Cup playoffs and uh beating the Golden Knights in the West in the West Dallas to me I think is one of the most underrated teams leading into the playoffs this year uh they were not talked about nearly enough for how good of a regular season they had uh they had the seventh highest goal scoring t- they were they were the they were the seventh highest goal scoring goal scoring team this year allowed the third fewest goals in the NHL uh they were top 5 in both power play uh scoring and penalty killing this year uh their goalie has been absolutely amazing uh joe uh jake o- otengager um sixth Godinger. highest what's up jake otengager yeah did i say that wrong. <laughs> i i don't do good with the hockey names but yeah jake otengager uh seventh uh, sixth highest save percentage overall in the regular season and second best save percentage on the road. Uh, Jason Robertson has been p- playing amazing. Uh, Jamie Benn and t- uh, Tyler Sagan. They've, you know, they've, they've come into their own after having slumps in the last couple years. And Wyatt Johnson, second year player has been amazing and been breaking out this year, especially in the playoffs. He's been so fun to watch so fluid in traffic areas and the way he can, con- he can control the puck and his stick with his hands is amazing. Uh, last 13 games in the playoffs this year, he's uh has four goals and six points and generated 24 individual scoring chances. Chances according to the national stat trick. So I I do think Dallas has been a an insanely underrated team this playoffs, and I do actually have them beating the Golden Knights, uh in in the West here. Uh, fun fact: uh, a lot of people probably don't know, and I also did not know. Uh, the coach, uh, uh Pete DeBoer actually was fired from Vegas last year uh, right as that he was fired from the uh, the golden Knights last year, right as the stars season off season began right when they were eliminated. So uh, I'm I'm definitely curious to see uh, this matchup, the old coach going against his, uh, you know, coaching his new team going against his old team. Uh, It's going to be a great Stanley cup and I'm excited uh, to see this game go. And I think, I do think this game, Go. I think this league, uh, this series goes to five though. I don't think this game goes or this series goes to seven. I think the Dallas is a better team than the Vegas Golden Knights. I think Golden Knights have uh, challenges on goalkeeping; they've had it all year, and I really do think uh, Pete DeBoer, the De- DeBoer, is going to get his team pumped up and uh, playing well against his old team. And I think uh, Dallas ends up taking it in five. Actually, um, well, we'll finish the show off with uh, some NFL news uh Zach peacock uh has a playoff game this year in the nfl uh playoffs how do you think that's going to work out and do you think it's going to be enjoyed by the fans or it's going to be a disaster and uh, kind of fail fail on well, us?
1: it's not going to fail because people are going to figure out a way to watch the nfl playoffs i'm not a big fan of it overall because i don't like cut people having to cut the cord i don't like people having to pay to watch Uh, nfl games beyond their typical cable package or youtube tv or whatever else they might use but for people like me that already have peacock and i watch shows on there it's not that big of a deal and this is probably going to be the wave of the future we're going to see more people as if we're not already most people these days watch television on hulu netflix peacock they only watch live television for sports and now They're trying to put sports on the streaming platforms. I think it's the wave of the future. I think it's going to be used more often. I'm surprised they're dipping their toes with a playoff game. I was even surprised they put Bill's Chargers on there because that's a meaningful game, or we think it's going to be a meaningful game late in the season. So it's just about trying to get money from people, obviously. And I think we're going to see more of it. I think Paramount's probably going to do it pretty soon. I think. When Fox gets their own subscription service, they're probably going to do the same thing. Uh, ESPN Plus is probably going to put some higher profile games. They put a couple London games on there last year, which nobody really cared about. But this is the first time that we've really seen games that people care about being put on streaming services. And I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think it's a a step too far. I think the ratings are probably going to be down as a result of it. And I'm going to be interested to see if they do it again next year, but I think there's going to come a time where it's normalized and maybe with Amazon taking over Thursday night football last year, that's already been the case. I don't think it's normalized yet. I think within five years, it probably will be.
0: Well, I was surprised and you kind of alluded to it, Zach. There's actually good games that are coming on uh Peacock this year. Usually the streaming services, like we've seen in Amazon and we've seen with Thursday night football as well. Uh, or yeah, we, we've seen with Thursday night football, excuse me, in the past with, with Amazon, the games aren't usually good. Uh, so I I was surprised to see some meaningful games, especially a playoff game. And you mentioned, you know, regular season gaming, the Chargers and uh, Bills. Uh, it, it's interesting to see meaningful, good games actually coming on these streaming platforms. And like I said, I just hope it doesn't crash. I hope uh, ratings don't, dip either because people deserve to watch football and like you said people will always watch football and they'll find a way to watch football uh whatever means it takes but it's a nice experience uh or experiment excuse me and it just kind of shows you how the the way that uh professional uh play is moving in america we're going off of cable and we're going on the streaming platforms and within five six seven years that's just how it's going to be and that's just how you're going to have to watch your your teams and your games going forward
1: I don't think it's going to be all of it. I think they're just going to put a select few games here and there. I think they might even put a first round playoff game. I think that might start to be a norm. I don't think they're ever going to get to a world where conference championship games in the Super Bowl are ever going to be on streaming platforms or on pay-per-view or anything like that.
2: Yeah, I think so too. I think they're going to, I still think they'll go with the streaming, but I don't think it's going to be as big as, as we think it is. I know streaming is kind of the wave of the future, for, for all sports and for everything outside of sports pretty much but I do think that they're going to I do think that they're going to play into the streaming roles especially starting up you know at this time and I, I still think they'll broadcast games on TV as well I mean maybe it won't be fully normalized but I think it's going to be it's going to be the next big thing they're trying to make it the next big thing in in, in sports.
1: We see the Amazon schedule this year looks a whole lot better yeah. than it did last year. I don't so even we're know already streaming to platforms
0: could handle big games like the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't even. Not that I'm a not. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the, the, the viewership alone. The I don't know if just a site, you know, online platform would be able just to even handle the traffic without crashing. <laughs> yeah, that's just. Yeah, we'll we'll see though. I mean, it's interesting interesting times. Like I said, cable in general is just dead is dying every single year uh not only just sports but just in you know sitcoms news everything and nothing is you know cable is kind of moving away into more of a digital platform and this is just another another, this is another example how sports are kind of following its path it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next you know five to ten years okay we now welcome on jonathan shipman In-house DJ for uh, the Dallas Stars at the American Airlines Center. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. We know you're uh, busy right now with uh, what's going on, of course, uh, with with the Dallas Stars. We'll start there, though. Uh, Playing Vegas starting Friday, uh, game one, uh, rematch of the 2020 Western Conference Finals. Uh, We know what happened there, unfortunately. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start here though. Dallas was one of the sleeper teams, very underrated team, quiet team, going into the playoffs. Um, you know, Athletic did a poll with uh 41 of their hockey writers. I think five and a half like percent of them, like two out of 41 of them, picked uh Dallas to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, with 80 percent going to the Bruins and the Oilers. Uh, 80 percent of those votes. Why? Why were they being slept on so much? And you know what has changed? I mean, what, just let's start there. Why were they being slept on so much going to the playoffs? I think partially just because we're not as a traditional big hockey
3: market, you know. And you're seeing right now, Rope Hentz is taking the playoffs by storm. I think he's one point behind McDavid right now, who is obviously not in the playoffs anymore. So he should take over the top spot in terms of points in the playoffs. Um, you know probably in game one honestly the way he's playing um and i think it's just it's a team that's nicely constructed it's got a nice mix of youngsters like rookie wyatt johnston who somehow was left off the call their finalists and you just saw in game seven what this kid's capable of and he just turned 20 years old um i'm not sure exactly why they were slept on they're not you know they're not a, a sexy pick they're not a toronto or a boston or an edmonton where you've got Pasternak, Marchand, or, you know, if you go to Toronto, you've got Tavares, Matthews, Nylander, all the, like, all the star power. I think right now the stars are starting to make a name for themselves, though, throughout the NHL. Um, They play, and they play an exciting brand of hockey. This isn't the same 2020 team that was led by Rick Bonus. Rick Bonus, you know, he did a great job here as head coach, especially taking over in the circumstances that he did. With Jim Montgomery leaving all of a sudden. Um, but this team is way different now in terms of its style. They're much more aggressive. They still have the backbone, which is their goaltender in terms of Jake Ottinger. In 2020, it was obviously Hudobin. But the way that Otter's taken over, he is, I mean, he's 22 1 and 3 following a loss. So if he does have a bad game, he bounces back and has an amazing game the next game. And it's what, you know, in game six uh, against the Kraken, they pulled. Jake early in the second period. And I heard an interview with Tyler Sagan where T- Sagan said that when Otter came off the ice, Pete DeBoer was saying how great Otter was and it was the team in front of him was the reason that he was pulled. And I think honestly, the they're, they're they were overlooked just because they had a little bit of a, a rough second half of the season. They, they started off great. They were in, they had the top spot in the Western conference for a long time and then Mason Marchment got hurt, Tyler Sagan got hurt, and the Stars really need all four lines to be able to roll like that to be successful. Because if that's not happening, then you can key on on that top line of Robo, Hints, and Pavelski. And if you don't have those other lines, those other lines aren't performing, or they aren't healthy, or they aren't rolling, then it makes the uh, it makes it that much easier for the opponent to shut down all of our top guys.
0: Uh, One of the biggest reasons people are citing uh, Dallas had struggle against uh, Las Vegas of, you know, 2020 was their offense wasn't as good as Vegas uh, offense was. Uh, You can argue that Vegas is very similar to how they were back in 2020, but the Stars offense only gotten better. And it's still surprising to me that Vegas is still the betting favorite uh, to win. It's kind of funny. I mean, they're in their backyard. It might be some bias there. I don't, I don't know. But yeah, it just it just seems kind of uh, you know, stars Dallas this year, seventh highest goal scoring team in you know in the league. Offense obviously greatly improved. Like you said, their starting forwards are the best in the playoffs, if not the best in the league so far. And yet they're still just not getting that recognition that they that they really deserve. Um Dallas played uh las vegas three times in the regular season won all three matchups uh now mm-hmm. two of those were uh shootouts um but that being said with the fact that their net rating is only a difference of four um do you see this game going to seven i mean i i don't see this game finishing before uh before seven and five or six because i just both teams are just going to be so hard to put away yeah. Uh, and they're just so evenly matched. And is, is that what kind of people are saying around Dallas too, is that they expect us to go to seven?
3: Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I would not be shocked at all if it goes seven. I think the one place and it's an important place that the stars have the edge is in net with Ottinger over Aiden Hill, I think has been the starter for Vegas and he's been playing great. I think he took over in the third game of this last round. And I haven't really been able to watch a lot of Vegas against Edmonton just because. We were playing a lot. And I had other gigs and stuff, but um, I think that we have the edge in net, and I think that that's it ultimately is what's going to allow us to advance in this series. Um, like you said, like it's a very evenly matched team, and I actually think that the Kraken were a tougher matchup for us than Vegas, and not, and it's just the way that they play. The Kraken are so fast. Like, I in game one when they they we scored early. Joe Pavelski in his return scores the first goal. Everybody's going crazy. They score, then we score, and the next thing you know, we're We're down four to two. They scored three goals in like fifty-two seconds. Now Vegas has a lot of firepower, and they're uh, they're capable of doing that as well. But I don't think that they're as like pesky as the Kraken were. I mean, every single line that the Kraken threw out there were just a nightmare for us to deal with. And it, if they had more skill, I think on those lines, it would it would have been a much more difficult. I mean, it was already difficult enough, but I think that the Kraken would have a, a better chance. Like If Burakovsky, for example, was healthy for them, I think a player like that on another line could have really, like, they could have advanced real easily, I think, if they were a little bit healthier. Even Daniel Sprong was out the last few games. So I think that the Stars got, we were a little fortunate in terms of our health versus their health. And um, I think when it comes to Vegas, I mean, you know, they've, they're, they're a lot, They're very similar to when we played them in 2020, but now they have Jack Eichel, who obviously is a huge superstar in the league. I've always loved loved watching him play, even when he was with Buffalo. That was like the only reason to watch the Sabres play. And now he's on an exciting team with Vegas and Mark Stone, obviously, who is, I like watching his goal celebrations unless it's against the stars because he gets so amped up. It's just fun to see a guy who scored as much as he has still get that excited every time he does. Um, but yeah, I think this series is gonna go seven um just because I mean they're super evenly matched. Like you said, two of the games went to shootouts. And I believe I, I know the last one that we played at home against them, we didn't they did not have Jack Eichel for that game. And that one went to a shootout. And we weren't healthy either at the time, but missing Jack Eichel is a pretty big <laughs> that's a pretty big hole to fill in your lineup. So I'm I feel yeah. confident in the stars' chances in advancing in this series, but I think you're right that it's going to be very evenly matched, and I expect it to
0: go the distance. Well, let's talk about that. Uh, the starting three uh, forwards uh, for the for the uh, Las Vegas, uh, Barbashev, Eichel, and March Assault. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do they line up against your starting three? And is this going to be a matchup that really needs to go to the you know second, third, fourth lines, or do you think this is a matchup that really is decided more by the starters?
3: Um, I think that that's going to be, and that's, and that's stuff that like develops over a series, right? Like even against, even against Minnesota and Seattle, the way Dallas played those teams in game one versus game six or game seven were totally different in terms of who was out there on the ice. Um, like the, the stars ended up having Rope and Robo and Pavelski against Kaprizov because Rope is a really good defensive forward as well. I think one day, maybe now after this postseason run, he'll get more of consideration for a, a Selkie in the future. Because yeah. a lot of the plays that he scores on or that the stars score on, you'll hear Rope with a stick lift. The Rope pokes the puck away. Like he his defense generates a lot of offense for the stars. Um, but I think with those lines, I mean, what it's really going to come down to is Miro Haskin. I mean, he's – that's a guy that I think, you know, we mentioned Rope. Wyatt Johnson, I think Miro is another one of the guys that nationally throughout the league is not is not getting nearly enough credit. And nobody really knew how good he was. I mean, even Pete DeBoer, before he, when he came over, he said, look, I knew the guy was good, but he, he's like, I didn't realize this is who we have on defense. This is our stud ace defenseman. And he's averaged, I think, he's, he's averaging almost 30 minutes a game. So he's playing half the game, and without him, it, the stars fall apart defensively. He's the key to everything that we do. So I think Miro will be out there whenever Eichel is out there, and I think the forwards, our our top three lines, and really our fourth line too, is a great defensive line as well. We're all we're a very defensively responsible team, like we were under Rick Bonus, but now the stars are able to score a lot too, which is nice. <laughs>
0: Uh, Wyatt Johnson, uh, 24 individual scoring chances, according to the natural uh, stat trick this year. Uh, This this playoffs, I mean, uh, four goals and six points in the playoff games he's played so far. Uh, Obviously had a really good regular season. He's just fun to watch, too. I mean, he's so fast in high-traffic situations. Like, the way he can just skate around people so fluently. And, like, he's so good with his hands, too, with the puck and the – and the stick, the way he's just able to kind of manipulate himself around the ice and around, like I said, around people, around traffic areas as well. It's just really fun to watch. Yeah. Is he, in your opinion, is he going to be one of the next breakout stars in the league? And is it kind of unfortunate that he is in a lower market hockey town like Dallas when he really does have so much talent and had so much to prove?
3: Well, and I, I mean, I think I think you're seeing it right now. I mean, did you see the series clinching goal he scored against um... – against the Kraken, like, even Pete DeBoer after the game, he was like, look, I don't know how many players, because the, the, the way that he was coming down the ice, that's on my side of the ice where I'm set up. So I'm like, I'm up in the lower section at the top of the section. So I can see that net very well. And I was like, all right. So he's going to the back end. So he's probably going to try to scoop around him and score on the other side. And then when he just mm-hmm. lifted it and roofed it over his shoulder, like, I lost my mind because I didn't even, like, and Pete DeBoer said that. He's like, I don't know how many people would have had that opportunity and would have even thought to try that much less pull it off. And so, I mean, while it is unfortunate that, you know, nationally he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. He's, he's learned from the best this season. He's been living with Joe Pavelski in his, in his rookie year. So he lives with one of the, he's lives with about the best role model you could have in the game of hockey. And he's mentioned it too. He's like, look, He's he's excited to be where he's at. Um, there's a cool there's a cool like symmetry too between him and Tyler Sagan because Tyler Sagan was 19 years old when he won the Stanley Cup with the Bruins, and now Sagan has obviously been work, been playing with Wyatt Johnson, who just turned 20 and is mm-hmm. on the quest to win a cup now. So Sagan's been giving him advice on how to deal with the playoffs and things like that. Um, and I honestly I think that the team. The team relishes in the fact they enjoy the fact that they're underdogs that nobody really gave them a shot to make it this far. A lot of people were thinking, especially when they went down one game and you were down O one in both the first two series, there was all sorts of oh, here we go, here the Dallas Stars are falling apart. But this Dallas Stars team is different. They have everything. Um, I I mean, I feel and and, and Wyatt Johnston and Jake Ottinger have both multiple times talked about there's a real belief in that room that they're going to win the Stanley Cup this year, that they – and this was before they were down to the last four teams. Like, this has been a belief throughout the season, and uh, it's just – it's been a really cool thing to watch, even through the ups and downs. Um, But I think Wyatt Johnson is definitely going to be one of the – I mean, he is an up-and-comer. I mean, he's the youngest player in NHL history with a Game 7 series clinching goal. Wow. And he did it in that fashion, you know, with the with the backhand up over Grubauer's left shoulder. So I think, you know, I think he's definitely gonna be an up and coming star. And the great news with the stars is we have a we have a lot of other players in the minors that are either as highly touted or like right below Wyatt Johnston. Like it's him and Logan Stankoven are like the two top prospects, and only one of them made the team out of the training camp this year. And it's widely expected that Logan Stankovan will make the team next year. So there's a lot of, a lot of current excitement and future excitement for the stars right now.
0: A big uh, storyline people aren't really talking about is uh, Pete DeBoer uh, fired last year by the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Uh, at the I think it was the day the, the stars began their off season. Uh, so that, I mean, you always love having a, an old coach or a coach go against his old team. I mean, yeah. That's a storyline. I'm actually surprised. You know, the media outlets, ESPN, all that—they're not really honing on more and really making that more of a storyline because I think everyone likes to see that when a when a guy goes against his former team, especially one that's been having so much success and one that got fired from that former team. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Interesting matchup, though, in many reasons. But one of the big things, you know, if you kind of one of the big storylines for this matchup is it's kind of. A good five-on-five team against a really good penalty uh, team, right? Yeah. Vegas Golden Knights, probably one of the best uh, five-on-five teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, they've outscored opponents thirty to fifteen on five-on-five. Uh, while well, the Stars have a goal differential of only plus one when it comes to this. But the Stars, though, I think what they're they were top five in both penalty scoring and penalty killing this yeah. year. Uh, so it's, it's 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 a matchup between five on five versus uh you know penalty and it it's gonna be interesting to see how that kind of plays a role uh I, and i really think that's gonna have a big impact on uh how the series plays out
3: yeah i mean I, um the stars power play had i mean it, it would have had they had an unsustainable success at the beginning in the first three months i mean i mean they sustained it so i guess it's not unsustainable but right. they had like they were i mean they were scoring at, like it like I think almost like a 25%, 30% clip. And then they had like a two-month falling off. But the thing is, you know, you just mentioned Pete DeBoer. The best thing about Pete DeBoer is his ability, or one of the best things, is the fact that he never panics. Like, when the power play was going bad, he didn't freak out. And I'm panicking, so it's panic. Let's move a whole bunch of people around. He basically kept the power plays the exact same and just said, hey, look, I believe in you guys. Just The puck's just not going our way right now. We'll figure it out eventually. And He's done that, and after Game 7, a lot of, um, you know, Jake Ottinger mentioned it, Tyler Sagan mentioned it, just how, what a calming presence that is, especially in a Game 7 that Pete DeBoer wasn't freaking out after they got beat real bad in Game 6. So, I think, you know, in this series, and just like in the first two series, there was no secret, you know, both opposing coaches said we've got to keep Dallas off of their power play. Their power play yeah. is about as good as it gets, and, you you know, if you want to beat the Dallas Stars, you have to play disciplined hockey. And I think that's one thing that the Stars are good at is when they're at their top of their game, that's a it's a they're a really good puck possession team. And that's obviously going to draw a lot more penalties because they're trying to strip you of the puck or you're creating chances and they're gonna cross check you to, you know, avoid a goal being scored on. So and in and, and five on five too, I think the Dallas Stars, I mean and in the first round against the Minnesota Wild the Stars were on the power play a lot but the Kraken did a really good job of playing a disciplined brand of hockey and they probably they played a lot of 5 on 5 against the Kraken and they looked they looked really good you know and that's a that was a matchup where towards the end of the series the Stars Pete DeBoer had to take out Yanni Hakanpa because and he's been one of our top defensemen all season long he paired with Essa Lindell, were like our shutdown pair all season. And in game six, they were on the ice for five of the six goals scored against. Yeah. They came out afterwards and Essa Lindell said, I don't know the last time I played that bad. Uh, I don't think Hockenpah talked after the game, but in game seven, um, Pete DeBoer sat Yanni Hockenpah subbed in uh, Colin Miller. Who's a better, a little bit faster skater, not as big. It was just a tough matchup for Yanni Hockenpah. And so I think that, you know, five on five, you know, game one, they'll probably roll out with what they rolled out all se- all season long and what works. You'll see Paw back with Lindell and the normal defenseman and the normal forward lines. But I think once Pete watches them play five on five, he'll make adjustments like that, switching people around. When Pavelski came back from injury, he put him on a line with Domi and Marchmitt because Sagan was playing so well with Rope and Robo. And then when that started to fizzle out, he just swapped them back and everything started clicking again. So I think, I mean, I think that, and Bruce Cassidy said this about the stars He said, Hey, we got to stay off the, we got to keep them off the power play because they're lethal on it. So I think if you want to win against the Dallas stars, you have to get great goaltending and you have to play disciplined hockey. And I think that's the,
0: that's the biggest key to beating us. Yeah. Um, team, uh, Fans, I mean, always love high scoring teams, right? Seattle Kraken, team that comes to mind. Great offense, super fun to watch, super explosive, as you were alluding to earlier. Dallas's defense, though, um got better in uh, in the midseason. Uh they got Niels Lud Ludfist. Um hmm. they are they the best defense in the league, in your opinion? In your unbiased opinion, as best as you can, are they the best defense in the league? Not just the playoffs, but in the entire NHL. Um
3: I think, I mean, if they're not, I think they're a top five defensive team for sure. Um, just because, and a, a lot of that falls back on Jake Ottinger and the way that he plays. And even Scott Wedgwood, our backup goalie, he's incredible too. Like the fact that we have a one-two punch like that, like it's, that's such a great luxury for us to have. I think, you know, defensively, the stars were really good. But I like, we, like I was saying earlier, I think Miro Haskinen covers up a lot of our, defensive ineptitude at times because he's so good at what he does and he plays so much. Like when he, when we lost him in game three of uh, the Kraken series, they they got scored on like four times the rest of the period without him. He could have come back and he wanted to come back, but Pete DeVore said, look, let's just rest you up, stitch you up, and let's have you ready for, you know, game four. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, I think we're one of the top defensive teams, but I do think that, you know, we sometimes do have a tendency to be caught in odd man rushes and things like that. And I think you'll see that early on in the Vegas series. I think Vegas will probably have more odd man rushes at the beginning of the season or at the beginning of the series than at the end, because I think, I just, I have a feeling, and the, and the stars are just going to have to adjust to that and figure it out like they did with Seattle. Cause that's how it was with Seattle. In games one and two, there was a ton of odd man rushes. And then it slowly started to dissipate. And then by game seven, I don't think they had a single odd man rush and really not any super high-scoring, um, high-danger chances other than obviously the goal they scored at the end. So yeah, I think that they're definitely a, one of the top defensive teams, but I think it's more based off of Jake Ottinger. Um, and honestly, Thomas Harley is a young guy we haven't talked about yet. He's a defenseman who has been highly touted in the stars or on the stars prospect pool for a long time now. And he had high hopes to make the roster this year, but they kept him down with the Texas Stars and had him solely focus on his defense. He's a great offensive defenseman. They didn't have him on the power play. They had him out there on the penalty kill. Like they had him down there for a reason to get his reps in. And you know, they they traded for Niels Lundqvist early in the season. But when the trade deadline came, they added Evgeny Dodonov, who's played for Pete DeBoer in Vegas before. And then they added Max Domi. And then they viewed Thomas Harley when he got called up at the end of the season. They viewed him as a trade acquisition. And he's looked great. I mean, I think – I'm not sure. He's like 20, 21 years old, maybe 22. He's yeah, He's super young. Like He's played a little bit of NHL hockey, but this is by far the most he's played. And the more that – he's been playing, he's been, Pete DeBoer has been putting him in more high leverage situations. Like I'll see him out there sometimes on the power play on the point with Miro Haskinen. And that just goes to show, you know, Pete DeBoer, his belief in his guys and, you know, his willingness to trust the young guys, which is really nice to see. So I keep an eye on 55 uh, against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I think he's probably the next guy that, people are going to be like, wait, Thomas Harley, we haven't been talking about this guy. Like first it was Ropey, then it was
0: Wyatt,
3: and now it's going to be Thomas Harley.
0: Well, third fewest goals allowed in NHL this year. And you mentioned Jake Ottinger, uh, Ottinger too. Um the, Amazing in the playoffs, definitely the best uh goalie remaining in the yeah. playoffs. Uh 0. 0.9 save percentage, just over 0. 0.9, uh, you know, three goals per game in the playoffs, less than three goals per game. I think it's at like 2.7 right now or something. He's been amazing. Uh, he's been amazing all season long, really. And if the, if the stars are going to win, it's going to come down to their defense and their penalty killing. I think that's what they pride themselves on. And that's what they're going to have to do and keep going in order to uh, beat the Dallas or uh, the Vegas golden Knights. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what you do though. I mean, you're the, you're the in-house DJ for the, yep. for the stars. Um, Let's just kind of go go overview, like, you know, just how you got that job, kind of, you know, what you were in the position, I'm, I'm sure it was one of those stories where you were in the right position at the right time, and uh, the job came to you, and uh, how long have you have been doing it for, and just give us a kind of an overview of, like, how you got to where you are. Yeah, so it actually
3: started during the pandemic was when I started to hear about this job that it was going to become available and my friend, uh, his name's Michael Gruber. Everybody around Dallas calls him Groobs. So I did sports radio for a long time, and so did he. And he was on 1310, The Ticket, which you've probably heard of. It's nationally super famous uh, radio station here in Dallas. And then I worked for 105.3 The Fan, which is the home of the Dallas Cowboys. It's still a big radio station, but like mm-hmm. the ticket's like legendary. Right? Every People across the country listen to it. They've won like a million Marconis. anyways. He worked for the ticket. I worked for the fan and we ended up becoming friends. And then he got the stars music director job while I was still with the fan. And he basically got offered the Texas Rangers job. And then he reached out to me and said, Hey man, I'm, I think I'm going to take this Rangers job. And I don't think I'm going to be able to keep doing stars. Would you be interested in doing this job for the Dallas stars? And I was like, dude, hell yeah. Like the Dallas stars are my favorite team. Like the Mavericks, the stars, Cowboys and Rangers, but like the Stars have always probably been the closest team for me just because I grew up watching them with my family all the time. Like we watched pretty much every game together. And so when the, the opportunity came up, you know, he's like, I think you'd be really good at it. You obviously, you know, we're a board op at the fan and like what we do, it involves some of that, but you also need some music knowledge. And so, and I have, I'm a, I'm a musician myself. I've been a drummer for my whole life. I, I'm a singer too. Like music's just been, ingrained in my blood and so yeah I, basically during the pandemic I would drive up to Frisco and work for free and try to figure out how the job was how the job would be and you know when the pandemic ended and in hockey was ready to go again they hired me for the gig and I'm now in my third season with them and uh, it's you know I, I do it for the Dallas Mavericks as well so I do both NBA and NHL awesome. and it's a pretty cool feeling of you know be involved in the team in the atmosphere at the American
0: Airlines Center for two of my favorite teams. Any nice perks with the American Airlines or is it completely separate?
3: Uh like the like the airline itself? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't I wish. I wish I got some like miles or something for every win, you know, like hey yeah, here's right. here's five thousand miles per win. Thanks for, you know, leading our team. No, nah, they they don't do any of that, but I do get a lot of nice perks just from the American Airlines Center itself. You know, like all the people there I, I'm friends with you know, all the ushers and everybody. And so they're always, whenever I come in and I'm not working, they're always really cool
0: and nice to me. Well, let's talk about it. So I'm kind of curious as to how um, structured it is going into a game. I mean, I know what I mean by that is, do you have kind of like a rundown of what you're going to play and how much can you deviate from that rundown or, or do you try to stay pretty strict to that rundown? You know, like, okay. On the second opponent timeout uh, or the first media timeout this is being played like you know the kiss cam is coming on at this time so we're playing this and so i'm just kind of curious like how yeah you know like like radio like how structured it is and then how much are you able to actually deviate away from that game plan
3: yeah so that's pretty much the only thing that's scheduled for the whole game for me so whenever the game's happening and there's no timeouts like i'm djing based off of the vibe and what's going on in the game. Like people always ask me like, what are you going to play tonight? I'm like, I don't know. Tell like, I have to see Mm -hmm. what's happening in the game. And then, so you mentioned the media timeouts. Like there'll be some stuff, like you said, like a kiss cam or, or a, uh, we have an NSA cam where, you know, we take, we take video people and we, we get access to their text messages and we post them on the screen. Uh, We do a snack words cam, which is just reverse. It reverses the camera on, people eating stuff in their seats and so like you'll just see somebody like taking a piece of pizza out of their mouth so it's become like it's because and we started just doing it to opposing fans that are sitting there just to kind of make it a fun thing but yeah that for stuff like that i mean i have songs that i play for those instances and other than that though pretty much everything i play is on a whim it's based off it. of the energy it's hey are we pushing right now? Do we need to push back? Or, you know, who's got the momentum? How can I switch the momentum? Um, so yeah, the, the media timeouts are kind of scripted, but when it comes to the actual music you hear during the game, just had a whistle for a face off. Um, all that stuff is just whatever I feel like playing and whatever I feel like should be played. That's a thing that I think a lot of people get confused with about this job is like, I'm a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. I'm in a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band. I almost never play the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So when people come up to me and they say, "Hey, I didn't like, I don't like this song, or I don't like that song," I don't necessarily like that song either. But I'm DJing for 18,000 people. There's somebody in there that likes that song, and I played it for a more specific reason because it was upbeat. It was had a good rock beat to it, or it got the people like out of their seats, or it got them singing. So. There's a whole yes. diff, There's a whole bunch of different reasons that I play the stuff that I do, and almost never does it have anything to do with myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I, I was wondering about that too. You know how it's kind of an ebb and flow, and you got to kind of find a nice balance when you do this. But in games that are blowouts, either if it's you, you know, the stars or uh, Mavs blowing a team out, or you're getting blown out yeah you got you can't play you know downers but at the same time it's kind of awkward to be playing very upbeat and hype music as well so just kind of talk about that how you kind of you have to find that kind of ebb and flow and uh that middle ground where you play the music for the vibe of the stadium which you know isn't the most exciting game yeah Uh, but you at the same time you do have to still keep the crowd engaged and give them what they want to hear
3: Yeah. So, I mean, if we're blowing the other team out, I can play anything and everybody's going to love it. It doesn't matter, you know? Um, So when we're getting blown out, I just try to keep it like, I just keep it upbeat. And like my boss will literally tell me just, hey, have fun. Just have fun, play fun music. So, because people don't want to leave. They've already paid their tickets, right? They've paid 200 bucks to be there. They don't want to necessarily leave if you're down four to one in the second period, but I'm going to still play upbeat, fun dance type music so that at least they're enjoying that part of the game. Right. And then, Hey, you never know, maybe we'll score then, you know, then you're, you get a little bit closer, but mm-hmm. yeah, I never play any like downer stuff. Like I've heard other arenas before. If they're getting blown out, they'll play like onto the next one, onto the next one by Jay-Z. And I get it like if it's late, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to send that message to the team via music where it's like, you know, I just, Quit this game. Let's just move on to the next one. And I think it was actually, I think it was actually maybe the Panthers that we were playing when that happened and they ended up coming back. So maybe it was like an ironic thing and he was trying to, whoever the music director is, was trying to like inspire him. But yeah, I think uh, whenever we're down big, that's the, it, there's really no super difficult position that I get put in except for if somebody gets hurt real bad. Like when Joe Pavelski got hurt, like that's when it's really hard to get people back into a game because for the rest of that game one, everybody was wondering how Joe was doing, you know? So yeah, yeah. to answer your question and blow out against us, just keep it upbeat, keep it fun, high energy, and then just pray that they'll score a goal or something to get to, to inject
0: some sort of belief into that building. Well, definitely a cool job. Uh, That's for sure. I think a lot of people would say that Um, this has been awesome, Jonathan. We really appreciate your time. I want to leave you with one last question. Okay. Kind of going going off hockey a little bit. Uh, okay. My last my last question as we exit out of here, um, what are uh, the Mavs going to do next year with Kyrie Irving, and do the fans even want him back next year?
3: Um, I mean, I think that I think that the Mavs want to keep Kyrie Irving. I know that I know the Mavs want to keep him for sure. I think he'll end up staying unless he wants to do a thing where it's like a sign and trade to get him to the Lakers or something like yeah. that. Because I mean, with the NBA, the Mavs can give him more money than anybody else. And I don't care how spiritual you are or anything, but like the extra $30 million or whatever it is would be pretty hard to say no to, especially Brilliant. if he was, especially if he was as happy as he says he was while he was here. And from everything I've heard, he loved it here. So or in his short time, obviously he would have liked to make the playoffs, but I think bringing another ball dominant player like that, you're going to need more than a couple months or like a few weeks to get ready for the playoffs. So sure. I think, I think that Kyrie Irving will end up staying here, um, and then from a Mavs fan perspective, I think that everybody wants him back. I mean, if you want to win a championship, you know, I I don't I don't see how losing him after giving up Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and all of them, I don't see how that gets you any closer to a championship. And he was cool while he was here, and and obviously like a short dose, but mm-hmm. and maybe it's a thing where like. You know the the team issue thing comes out after a few years of being there, but from everything I heard, he was a great teammate. Um, when I don't know if you saw when Maxi hit that crazy game winning three from his pass against the Lakers. Yep. Like the first thing that that was said to Maxi after he hit that shot, because the previous game Maxi made a huge mistake against the Spurs, like just a boneheaded play, totally against just a not a Maxi type play, and then he hit that he hit that three to win the game. Against the Lakers, and Kyrie came up to him and just said, "That's redemption. You're, that's redemption right there." Like the first guy that said that to him was Kyrie. Yeah. So, I mean, I would like to see him back, and I think Fat Mavs fans would too. If you, if you want to, if you want to get another uh, Larry O'Brien around here anytime soon,
0: I do. Um, I do genuinely think he's a nice guy. Um, yeah. I. He does some boneheaded things. Obviously, we're not going to get right. into that. We all know right. what he does off the field. But I just think from a he he is a nice guy. I yeah. do I do think that his the locker room does actually like him, and the people that he's around do actually like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he just needs to kind of stay out of trouble, and particularly in the off season, and uh, not not hurt locker rooms with all the off season drama that he brings in with what he says and what he does. Right. Uh, well Jonathan, this has been awesome. Uh I hope they're paying you overtime at American Airlines Arena. Uh, <laughs> as the stars yeah. head into the Western Conference Finals here. But uh It's a lot sure. better than not being paid at all, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well this is we have to do this again sometime, man. This has been really fun. And uh like I said, I'm really hoping that your uh your stars come out uh not only this series, but then uh win it next series and win the whole thing as well and get the uh hold up the uh, the cup.
3: Man, if that happens just know that wherever I'm at, if they're on the road or at home winning the cup, I am going to be crying like a baby.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Happy tears. The, when have, They have one. I actually don't know this. They have one before, correct? Yes,
3: 1999.
0: 1999?
3: I was, okay. I was nine years old. I was at the parade. There's like a picture of me and my mom and my sister. So it would be pretty special if they were able to pull it off this season.
0: Was it their own – only one? Yeah, only
3: one. They went They went back to the cup the next year, and they played the New Jersey Devils in the final, and they lost. And I believe that that previous offseason was – maybe it was after that. I don't remember. But they traded Jamie Langenbrunner for Jason Arnott, and nine- or ten-year-old me did not take it very well. No, I was a huge Jamie Langenbrunner fan, and uh, they really
0: pissed me off with of that one. But I've gotten over it since then. Well, this is their year, hopefully, right? And, yes, uh, we'll, yes. We'll see if they can get it done. Uh, two more rounds to go. Uh, eight more games that they got to win, right? Eight more wins. And uh, get one done on Friday, and then you only have seven, and you're already, uh, you know, one-eighth of the way there, whatever that is. I'm not going to do yeah. that, but All right, well, let's <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And, uh, like I said, rooting for them, okay?
3: All right, man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having
0: me. Oh, uh, yeah, man, definitely, for sure. Uh, Jonathan Shipman, uh, in-house DJ. Uh, for American Airlines Arena, uh, the in house DJ of both the Stars and Mavs. Uh, yeah, Jonathan, we'll do this again this time, okay? All right, have a good one, Jared. All right, see you then. All right, let's finish the show with our off the map and long haul of the week. Justin, who is your off the map of the week? My off the map
2: of the week is Jason Tatum. His struggles could hurt the Celtics' chances of winning a title this postseason. I still think that they could get to the finals they could get past Miami but could Miami pull pull an upset here I don't think so but this could still hurt the Celtics if their best player doesn't show up in the finals or in the conference finals I think this could be I think nobody's talking about how Tatum has struggled both in the postseason and the regular season and that might hurt the Celtics and almost hurt them against Philadelphia but this may hurt them against Miami and maybe even against the Nuggets
0: in the NBA finals. I want to go with the Wizards almost getting the number one pick. No one's uh no one's talking about that really. Uh we all know, like I said, Spurs got the number one pick. They won the Wimbiyama uh sweepstakes, but Wizards, the Washington Wizards were really close to actually winning it on Tuesday night. Um when there were 11, when there were 11 numbers remaining, uh, the wizards actually had six of those 11 numbers and they only had to gain one more ball for them to actually win the sweepstakes. Uh, San Antonio only had two of those 11, uh, remaining numbers. And, uh, like I said, if, if wizards got only one of those balls that were remaining, uh, they actually would have ended up winning the lottery and got the number one overall pick over the Spurs. And they were that close and they just couldn't get it. And as we all know, the, rest is history and Spurs will end up having the number one pick and getting one uh, come June. Uh, is that who's your off the map of the week?
1: Yeah. Speaking of the NBA draft lottery, mine's the Portland trailblazers. It's a franchise that has the worst NBA draft, uh, success of anybody's or worst draft luck because of course, 1984, they draft Sam Bowie. Number two, the next pick happened to be some guy named Michael Jordan probably works at a Starbucks somewhere. I don't think anybody's ever heard of him again. Uh, 2007, they get the number two pick and it ends up, uh, they picked Greg Oden with the number one pick instead of some guy named Kevin Durant. Again, never heard of him ever, ever again. And so now they've got the third pick and they're behind Wimbiyama. Are they going to end up with somebody like Scoot Henderson? Are they going to end up with Brandon Miller or somebody like that? But they came awfully close to finally giving Dame somebody to play with. And now they have to think about, are they going to trade the number three pick? That's come out in some discussions. Um, are they going to, Give up on their whole era and trade Dame because Dame deserves to play with somebody. He deserves a chance to actually play for a championship. And right now I just don't see it happening in Portland anytime soon. But they came that close to finally having a real teammate for him to play with, really, for the first time since uh, Lamarcus Aldridge.
2: Uh Justin, long haul of the week? My long haul of the week is Josh Harris. He owns the Sixers and the Devils, and now the Commanders. It's gonna be pretty weird especially him owning a team in Washington and a team in New Jersey, both rivals of the Eagles and the Flyers. Also, the Devils are in the same division as the Capitals, I believe, and also the Sixers are in the same conference as the Wizards. He owns a division rival of the Eagles, but a Philadelphia team, it's going to be like this. It's basically going to be like, oh, you know, I – I love Philadelphia. I love the Sixers, but then you come in and play the Eagles, and you know you're the most yeah. hated
0: guy. <laughs> everyone knows. Everyone knows about the deal, but no one really knows about the you know dichotomy of the teams that he owns and just owning it must be, just be weird owning rivals. You know, like you said, even divisional rivals at that mm-hmm. at that point. So, yeah, he might be.
2: Um, yeah, he might be better than Schneider, but I don't think he's going to win. I don't think the Commanders be are going to improve.
0: Probably be better than Schneider. I Maybe think not so next though. year, but I think over time, he will definitely prove to be a better uh, owner than Snyder. I don't think you can be a worse owner than Snyder. I ask anyone. Totally. <laughs> Any sports. sports Maybe 10. Dolan. <laughs> Maybe yeah, Jim right. Dolan with the Knicks and the Rangers. Even then. <laughs> even then hard. Hard to do. I'm going to go my long haul of the week. I'm going to go with uh, the PGA Championship. Uh, Oak Hill starting on starting today, Thursday. Uh Everyone's talking about just like the masters, everyone's talking about the live golfers you know Bryson, Dustin Johnson, Brooks, Phil, Patrick Reed. They come in the spotlight and kind of take all the spotlight away from all the amazing PGA golfers that they have that have stayed all season long and even last season as well. Um, I'm really sick of the this the live golfers doing this on these major championships. I want really the to highlight the PGA golfers that like I said have stuck around and been loyal to the franchise. I'm actually going to go with a a long shot PGA golfer uh, to win the PGA championships. Uh, Keegan Bradley um, been a sleeper this whole season after his explosive start in the beginning of the series or beginning of the season Uh, hometown in the Northeast uh, went to St. John's uh, really familiar with Oak Hill golf course to to begin with. Uh, He's been here before Won the PGA championships in 2011. He has ice in his veins. One of the coolest collected guys on the board uh, this weekend, uh he has one of the best driving efficiencies on the you know in the field uh, amazing approach uh, w- within 20 125 yards uh no one's talking about him and I'm I'm going to take him to uh you know be be someone that not only makes the cut but definitely is going to be a name that we're talking about on Sunday I think he's kind of like the warriors this year in the NBA playoffs definitely not the best player on the board or in the field this weekend but not a player that people want to particularly be matched up against and competing against late on Sunday, uh, you know, leading in to the final couple holes. Uh, Zach, who is your long haul of the week?
1: Yeah, as far as the PJ Championships concerned, I don't have a problem with live guys being there. I just want the best golfers. I don't care what tour they're on. And my pick to win the PJ Championships actually John Rahm. I'm I'm continuing to ride John Rahm until he doesn't. Uh, go out and win tournaments. He's already won, like, think five this year. But my long haul is going to be the ACC. They're under a lot of scrutiny now because Florida State and Clemson are really starting to crank up the heat because the revenue sharing and the revenue that they're getting is significantly lower than the Big Ten, the SEC. In fact, I think if you doubled the ACC's annual per year uh, amount of money that each school makes, it would still be about 10 million less than what every Big Ten school is getting. So Clemson is making way less than a team like Rutgers. Like that doesn't seem quite right. You know, Florida State mentioned that they're going to get less than what Central Florida is getting because Central Florida is going to the Big 12. So seven schools, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, Miami, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and NC State are all having conversations about you know, looking into the breaching of the contract which runs through 2036 why you would sign the deal through 2036 about anything right now i have absolutely no idea but the acc i think is going to be in some trouble i don't think that that contract is going to hold up for 12 years they're going to figure out a way to break that thing and then i think florida state and clemson are going to go to the sec i think north carolina is going to go to the big 10 i think miami could join the sec or the big 10 and i think eventually the ACC as we know it probably won't stand as it is right now and I know people want to say oh it's a basketball conference yes it is a basketball conference as far as its prestige but say for about two or three schools in the entire country every single college athletic program makes their money on football and that's where all the decisions are going to get made
0: yeah everyone's talking about the contract but no one's really talking about how unstable it's really going to be uh so yeah I, I agree with that that's a good long haul yeah great long haul uh Especially because, you know, we're not really talking about uh, ACC, SEC, and all the conferences in college right now because college is over. I mean, what, baseball's finishing up maybe? And that's about it. And even that, I think, might be over. But, you know, whenever we talk about college conferences, it's either about basketball and especially more so about football and, uh, yeah, something no one's really talking about right now. And, uh, yeah, good good long haul. Uh, It's something people don't really think about, but it's something to keep an eye out for as we go. Go into the next couple years. All right, guys, uh, great show. Uh, what, are, uh, what? Let's end with predictions, as we always do. Uh, Justin, predictions uh, heading into next
2: week. I think LeBron is going to have a thirty-plus point game, and I think that's going to be Game Three at the Staples Center, or what? what do they call it the Crypto.com Arena, but I'm still going to always call it the Staples Center. But I think LeBron will have a thirty-plus point game against the nuggets in the western conference finals. I think he's due for for a 30 plus point game
0: for sure. Uh Zach prediction.
1: I think the Celtics are going to take control pretty easily against Miami. I think the Celtics Sixers Whoever won that series is going to win the Eastern Conference, and I'm going to stick with that. I think the Celtics are just the better team, and I know Joe Mazzulla is a young coach and everything, but coaching matters in the NBA, but you know what matters more? Better players. I think the Celtics just have a better roster from top to bottom. Jimmy Butler might be the best individual player in the series, but when you combine Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, all those other guys, I think the Celtics are just too deep right now, so I got... Boston winning this series. I think it's gonna be a five game series in actuality. I think Jimmy's got one big game in him, but I think the Celtics are just better.
0: I'm gonna to continue to ride my bandwagon of the uh hurricanes, the Carolina Hurricanes. We talked about it earlier on the show. Uh I've been on them high uh in the East since the start of the NHL playoffs. I think they are gonna they're gonna end up beating the um excuse me, they're gonna end up beating the Panthers this uh this in the Eastern Conference. Uh, playoffs uh I actually think it's gonna be two two after game four but I think the hurricanes are gonna take it at home uh in game five and uh end up closing it out in uh, uh Miami in game six so that's that that's my prediction uh that'll be by this time uh next week uh, on our next show it will be game uh five like I said it'll be two two at that point Hurricanes going to win that game at home and then it's going to be closed out by game six. And then we're going to see Hurricanes in Dallas in the Stanley Cup finals. All right, guys. Well, great show. Uh, We'll do this all again next week. Uh, Until then, as always, uh, keep on traveling.